Thank you for listening to the Pursuit Church podcast. This is more than a podcast. Pursuit Church is a movement to connect to Jesus and make a difference. If you need prayer or would like to financially support our mission, reach out to us online at PursuitChurchSA.com. Now grab your headphones and get ready to dive into this week's message. So we're in the second week this week of a Christmas series we're calling Christmas Carols. Christmas Carols. And what we're doing is we're taking a look at, and let's just be clear, we said this in week one, Christ-centered Christmas carols, not commercial carols, nothing wrong with Frosty and Rudolph and all that good stuff, but that has its place, not here, right? Just In other words, that's just not what we're focused on, right? So those are okay for fun, but Jesus is always going to be the reason for this season, always, always. And so what we're doing is we're looking at some Christmas Christ-centered carols, and we're digging into the words for, for some meaning, uh, digging into them a little deeper, because these are beautiful, timeless um, words that are in these songs. And as we take a fresh look at some of the words in these songs, our hope is that it brings new meaning to you. Every time you think about this song now, or these songs we're talking about, I hope it brings a renewed meaning, a renewed excitement, and that you actually not just listen to these songs now, but as you sing them, you believe them and you live them out. That's really what we're trying to do in this Christmas series called Christmas Carols. Last week, the first carol we looked at was one of my all-time favorites, Oh Holy Night. Oh, holy night, beautiful Christmas carol, so much deep meaning. But we focused on just a few of the words, two lines, really, that we focused on. A weary world rejoices. We talked about that. And we talked about a glorious morn. Those are the things we talked. And what we found out or what we discovered as we dug into that was that Jesus brought hope and help. Jesus brought us some hope and some help. Today, I want to continue with a... Another Christmas carol. We sang it. It's our first song today. Oh, come all ye faithful. Oh, come all ye faithful. Just a little brief history about this song. It was originally lit, written in Latin in 1743 by a man named John Francis Wade, who was a hymnist in the 18th century. And then in 1841, so almost 100 years later, it was translated into English by a man named Frederick Oakley. And when he translated it into English, then he brought what we now know as the name of the song, O Come All You Faithful. Originally in Latin, the title of the song was um, Adeste Fidelis. That's Adeste Fidelis. That was the Latin pronunciation when the song was written by uh, John Wade. But, all right. So let me go ahead and sing it for you right now. No, I'm just kidding. Pastor Ken would kill me if I did that. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? No. Maybe, maybe, maybe some other time, but not just, but not this time. Now y'all know I love to sing, but leave me, PK would, would go crazy if I did that right now. Instead, let me just read though a few words from the song. O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him born the king of angels. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Sing, choirs of angels. 
Sing in exultation. Sing, all ye citizens of heaven above. Glory to God. Glory in the highest. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. As you think about some of the words of this song, maybe different parts speak to you in different ways. Maybe what is your favorite part of that carol? Is it the angel singing or maybe the call to come and adore the savior? Or maybe you're struck by the chance to behold the king of angels. All of those words are so beautiful. They're so powerful. But today I actually want to draw our attention to the very first line of that song. O come, all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Here's the thing, though. Does that mean to come you have to be full of joy, full of faith, and full of triumph? I hope not. Because, I don't know about you, there's certainly times I don't feel completely faithful. Or maybe I'm not always full of joy all the time. And I certainly don't always feel triumphant is I'm facing some of the problems in life, right? In fact, and sometimes this time of year even highlights them where we can actually feel the opposite of those things. Instead of being faithful, we can actually be doubtful. Instead of being joyful, we can sometimes become depressed. And instead of living from a place of triumph, sometimes we can fall into an attitude of defeat. You see, I'm so glad that Jesus didn't write the words to this song. Let me tell you what Jesus said. He didn't say, from tell you what he didn't say. He didn't say, come to me, all those who are completely faithful and ready to go. Come to me, all those that are joyful and have it all together. Or come to me if you're feeling completely triumphant today. That's not what Jesus said. I, I thank God Jesus didn't write the song that way. You know, if Jesus was writing the song, I think he probably would have said something like, come to me, come to me if you're weary or a burden. Come to me if you need a savior. In fact, let me show you how Jesus said just those things. Jesus calls, this is how Jesus is calling and who he's calling to come. He calls the weary and the burdened. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Wow. And then look at what he says. Look at who he calls to come in Matthew chapter 9, verses 12 and 13. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Wow. Wow. So, you know, I think if Jesus was rewriting this, Oh, come all you faithful. Maybe it might sound like this. Come all who are weary and burdened. Come to Bethlehem. Come all you sinners who I was sent to save. Come and behold me. I really believe if Jesus was writing that song, that's what he would have written as the opening line. Wow. I want to remind you of something that is one of the most beautiful messages 
about Christmas and about the birth of our Savior, and that's this. Jesus did not come to leave things the same. He came to make things new. Come on, we, we can clap for that. Jesus did not come. He did not come to leave things the same. He came to make things new. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17 reminds us that in Christ, we are made new. The old, it says in God's word, is gone. The old is gone. When you come to Christ, everything is new. Everything. Now, here's the thing. Jesus will always meet you where you are. But he has no intention of leaving you there. I'm going to say that again. Jesus will meet you wherever you are. If you are weary and burdened, if you are sick with sin, if you are down, downcast, despondent, dejected, he will meet you wherever you are. But I promise, and he promises more importantly, he has no intention of leaving you there. Jesus came to make things new. Wow, that's what Jesus came to bring. He came for the weary and burdened so they could find rest. He came for the sick sinner so that, the, so that we, as sick sinners, could be made whole. That's why he came. Yeah, there ain't no they. That's, ooh, you better get that down. We always want to, they, no, 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 that, that's you. That's me. That's, that's not a they. He didn't come for a they. He came for you. Come on now. Woo. Get up here and preach a little bit. Now, here's the thing. I want to take us back, though, to that beginning line. Faithful, joyful, triumphant. You see, if Jesus can make us a new creation, if he can make us new in that way, in, in, in salvation, I believe he can also help us by calling us to become more faithful, more joyful, and more triumphant. And Jesus is going to help us do those things. Yeah, I realize you may not always be feeling faithful, feeling joyful, feeling triumphant. But I want to share with you for the next few minutes how Jesus can help us become more of each of those three things. So let's start with the first one, faithful. Woo, faithful, faithful. I want to share with you two things that I want you to remember when it becomes when it comes to you and I becoming more faithful. The first thing is that to remember is this. Jesus is the center of our faith. You see, there's nothing that you believe about God, about earth, about heaven, about anything that does not have Jesus at the center of your faith. Jesus is the centerpiece of our faith. Hebrews 12, too, reminds us, that we ought to fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the perfecter and the author of our faith, right? So everything, he is the center. Something else, that, in fact, if you want to read about faith, the whole book of Hebrews is called the book about faith. Check it out sometime. Because there's something else in Hebrews that says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hello? Hello? Am I talking to somebody? Do you see how important... Faith is, in fact, without it, you can't please God is what it says. Is anyone here like to please God? <laughs> you're going to need faith. That's what it says. So if you're looking to become more faithful, and I want you to have this definition in your mind, becoming more faithful needs to become more full of faith. Yes. 
right? Faith full, put those becoming more full of faith. Okay. I want you to think about that. Now here's the thing. Let's, let's put two and two together. If Jesus is the center of our faith and the way to get more faith is to become more full, A plus B, if you want more faith, you need more Jesus. Straight up. If you want more faith, you need more Jesus. It ain't on your own willpower. You know, I'm just going to be more. No, you want more faith. You need more Jesus. This is what Romans 10, 17 says. So how do we get more Jesus? How do we get more Jesus? Just what it says. So faith comes from what? Hearing. hearing. And hearing through the what? Word. The word of Christ. My friends, Jesus helps us become more faithful through his word. That's how Jesus helps you and I become more faithful. Now, here's the thing. We hear the word through this, through preaching, through orally hearing it. That's one way to hear the word and grow in faith. Another way is we read the word or we hear the word when we read the word. All right. And we hear it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So as you're reading, as you're taking in God's word, the Holy Spirit is showing you truth. Right. So there's two ways that when, when, when the scripture says to hear the word, it's yes, it's, it's this. This is why preaching is important, right? It is a part of, of the, the plan. But it's also when we read the word, we're hearing it, right? Now, in both cases, the idea is that we take in, whether here or here and here, we're taking in the word and we're receiving truth. But here's the thing. The next part of that, is that we take the truth and then we're supposed to go live it out. Okay. Um, I'm going to step on a few toes here. You see the book of James really is clear about this. It says, if you just take in the word and don't do anything with it, you got a dead faith. That's what it says. You may have knowledge. Knowledge ain't going to save you. Hear me now. There's two parts to faith. One is, we just read it, taking it in, taking it in, Romans 10, 17, take it in. Because you can't live out something you don't know, right? How how are you going to live out something you don't know? If you don't know what you're supposed to do, right? You, You can't live it out. But the second part, that living it out is super important. It's a part of the deal. It's a part of the deal. So we take in the truth and then we go live it out. You see, our faith comes alive when we live it out. If you don't live it out, James is clear. You you have a dead faith. The only time your faith comes alive is when you live it out. Let me give you a little example. For many years growing up and in the church, I used to hear about this thing called tithing. You know, I conceptually got it, but for many years I didn't live it out. It it made sense up here. Yeah, I'm supposed to give back to God what's his. Okay, yeah, I guess. I mean, but I would tip God every once in a while. I would, you know, just kind of do my own thing. Woo! 
And then, you know, when Pastor Karen and I got married many, many years ago, she, this lady, was living the law of tithing. She wasn't just playing with it. And we, we said together, no, that's going to be a priority for us. It's going to be. And here's the thing. As we began to live, not just head knowledge, to live out that concept. God is, just, God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. And so I have had the blessing and opportunity. We together have had that blessing for 17, almost 18 years now of living the law of tithing. And now because I've lived it, I have a testimony about it. I, I can say this is what God's done, right? Whereas the, and that's the problem without living it out. You don't have no testimony. You have head knowledge. That's great. But your testimony comes when you live it out. That's literally where the rubber meets the road. That's why James was really clear because you, you can know all you want. You can memorize the Bible backwards, forwards, and quote it twice on Sunday. But if you're not living it, you have a dead faith. Really, really important. And that, that tithing example really helped me put that rubber to the road mentality. And I can't, I can't even describe how many blessings we've received. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to tell you one just really quick. Many years ago, uh, way before we planted this church, well, first of all, we, we've always sown into the churches we've been a part of, always tithe faithfully. And I remember one time we, we came into a, a little bit of money uh, through, through an inheritance, and we looked at each other and said, well, what ought we to do with some of these funds? So we took and we wrote the largest check we have ever written to a church. This is above our tithe and offering. But we looked at each other, we prayed about it. What ought we to do? Let me just show you what God does. That amount that we gave, that, that exact amount, not little less, not little more, that exact amount of money on four different occasions now has been donated to Pursuit Church by different, at different times. Every time we got that amount of money in from an individual, it was unexpected. It was not planned for. Four to one ratio. God's word says he'll actually, ooh, I'll preach on this. God's word says that no matter what you give, whether it's your time, talent, funds, you can expect up to a hundred times return. And by the way, the word says in this life, that, that's not just eternity. We, we already have a reward there. Jesus, Jesus, who Jesus said in this life, in other words, you can't outgive God. <laughs> no matter what you give to him, he is so generous and so loving. He's, he's going to give it back to you. Come on. Wow. All right, I'm going to share the second thing now. I want you to remember when it comes to becoming more faithful. And that is this. Becoming faithful is a process. You see, faith, faith is like a muscle. It grows stronger the more and the longer that you exercise it. You got any gym people here? Anybody like to go to the gym? Not a whole lot of gym people. Same concept. If you start lifting weights, the idea is you're trying to build a muscle. Faith works the exact same way. 
You need to view faith, though. Here's the thing. Hear me now. You need to view faith as a journey with Jesus. So I want you to view faith. Faith is a journey with Jesus. The longer you walk with him and the more that you lean into him, the stronger your faith will grow. The process of becoming, now here's, you know, I'm going to give you a little churchy word here. The process of becoming more faithful is something called sanctification. Now, that's a churchy word. I'm going to give you the real definition. The real, this is the you and me definition. It simply means to become more and more like Jesus. That's it. So if you ever hear the word sanctification, now you know what it means. Bottom line is it means we want to become more and more like Jesus. We want to become more faithful. Like he was faithful. Check out what the apostle Paul wrote in first Thessalonians. Now may the God of peace himself. This is so good. May the God of peace himself sanctify you. What? Say that again. Sanctify you. How completely and may your whole spirit, soul and body. Be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is what? Faithful. And he will surely do it. You see, when Jesus hung on that cross, he made you and I blameless. Well, come on, can you? Come on, right? Jesus hung on a cross so you and I could come before God blameless. He took all the blame of our sin. And it was his faithfulness that did that. And you notice Jesus didn't save you halfway. Jesus didn't only save you a little bit. He saved you completely. Spirit, soul, body. He actually, because in heaven, we have a promise now that all three of those parts of our being will be with us. Our spirit, our soul, and our body will all be in heaven. Not just some, not just one, not just part. That's what Jesus did. That's what his faithfulness That's what his faithfulness did for you and I. And Paul's reminding us that we were saved completely. As Jesus is calling us to walk with him day by day, week by week, year by year, we come to realize that more and more and more. That's that process of sanctification. We come to believe it. We come to have more faith. We are more full of faith as we live in that. Thank you, Jesus, for walking with us in that process every step of the way. Wow. I want to talk about the word joy now. You know, joy is described in Galatians chapter 5, 22, is referred to as one of the fruits of the spirit. Well, remember this, a fruit is something that's produced. It's not just manufactured. Hear me now. A fruit is produced. The fruit of an apple tree is an apple, right? And an apple is produced when that tree gets just the right amount of water, nourishment, sunlight. Something happens in the tree and then a fruit is produced. Joy is produced in you when you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And operating in your life in an abundant manner. That's it. That's, that's what produces the joy is the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That's why it's called a fruit of the spirit. And you giving into that spirit more and more and more to lead your life. 
Now, here's the thing you need to remember about the Holy Spirit. His primary role is to testify about the truth of Jesus. That's the primary role of the Holy Spirit. So joy is one of those fruits that is produced when Jesus is more in control of your life. Flat out. Flat out. More Jesus equals what? More joy. Say that. More Jesus? More joy. You want more joy in your life? You want more faith in your life? You need more Jesus. Now, here's an important distinction. Joy is not, uh, joy is not the same thing as happiness. Come on now. Happiness is based on happenings, right? Things going on around you. Consequently, happiness can be here today and gone tomorrow. How many, how many of you in, in your just daily walk of life experience happiness and maybe even sadness multiple times in a day? Besides me, anybody, do you see how quickly it can come and go? Joy, my friends, is something so much deeper and so much more. You see, joy is not dependent upon our circumstances. Hear me now. Joy is based on a promise of what is to come. Joy is based on a promise of what is, yes, what is to come. So it's not determined by what may be happening all around us at any given time. Therefore, our joy is actually tied to our hope. Our joy is tied to our hope. It's, it's an expectation of what's coming. That's where our joy comes from. Jesus helps us to be joyful because in him, we know what's coming. <laughs> you see, because we know What's coming in Jesus. That's why the apostle Paul sitting in a prison could be joyful. Literally sitting in a prison. He could be joyful because he knew the promise that was coming. He knew that the words he was writing was going to lead people to Christ. That's why he could be joyful. Right? He knew there was a purpose. He knew what was going on. He wasn't concerned so much about the current circumstance because there was nothing to be happy about given his current circumstance in a jail cell. Let's just be honest. Not a thing. But he was joyful. John was exiled to an island. And yet he was joyful. Because he understood the promise of the love of God. Read John and read John first, second, and third John. The running theme throughout all of John's writing is this word love. That's why John could be joyful. Because he had the promise of God's love no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance he was in. This is what the angel said to the shepherds in the fields on the night of Jesus' birth. It says, I will bring, I bring you good news. That will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. My friends, our Savior, Jesus Christ, brought joy to this world more than 2,000 years ago. Because of a promise that he fulfilled. The promise was that there would be a Savior that was born. So when Jesus was born, he brought joy to the world by fulfilling a promise. Here's the beautiful thing for you and I. Our joy now is something we can have because of two other promises that Jesus 
made and kept. Jesus promised to die for your sins and he promised to be resurrected on the third day to conquer death. Yes, that's right. That's why you and I can have joy because Jesus keeps his promises. There's another scripture that God that says God is faithful to complete what he starts. Yeah. You and I can have joy because Jesus keeps his promises. So no matter what's going on in the circumstance of your life right now, I'm not promising you're going to be happy. And Jesus never said you would be happy. Never said that. He said he'd be with us in everything. He'd never leave us, never forsake us. And he said it would all be worth it, right? Because he he says his promises are yes and amen. His promises will never fail. His promises will always be completed. That, my friends, is why we can have joy. Happiness can be taken away. But Jesus helps us become more joyful because his promises are always fulfilled. And the joy that we find in him can never be taken away. The joy that we find in Jesus can never be taken away. Let's look at this last word in that first line of the song. Triumphant, triumphant. More than 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah wrote this about him. It's found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It says, for us, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on. And for how long? Forever. You know, when I was growing up, I had a friend named Stuart. And now when I was growing this is around 11 years old, I'm kind of recalling this, this memory. I was always kind of tall for my age. I was always one of the taller kids in class. But my friend Stuart, this guy was a giant. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, at 11, this dude was like six feet tall already. Uh, I, think, I think by the time he graduated high school, I think he was around six, eight. I mean, it, but I mean... I'm, I'm, I'm here and Stuart's, yeah, just way up here. So needless to say, and, and I love to play basketball by the way. So needless to say, whenever we would head to the basketball court, I always made sure I had my friend Stuart with me. <laughs> Stuart, hey, let's, uh, let's go play ball, man. So we'd show up on the court and, uh, you know, you can win a lot of games when you got the tallest player on the court. We won a lot of games. We won a lot of games. Whenever I stepped onto that court, I had, I had a confidence. I said, man, Stuart, I got Stuart with me, man. There ain't no way we're going to lose. Very, and we almost never did. When Isaiah was writing the words that we found today, he was expressing a confidence. He was expressing a confidence that you and I can share in with Jesus. This is what he was saying. We put it in the... 2023 Bob English. This is why Isaiah was saying, look, there's going to come a king like this world has never seen. He's going to be bigger, 
better, more powerful than anything you have ever seen. And there will never be anyone more powerful than him now or in the future. And he is coming to establish a kingdom that will never end. That sounds pretty triumphant to me. That sounds pretty triumphant to me. Now, maybe at Christmas time, you envision our manger scene. Mary, Joseph, the animals, little baby Jesus. (sighs) My friends, (laughs) Jesus was born as a baby, but he came to be a king. Come on. Jesus was born as a baby, but he came as a king and he came to establish a kingdom. That's why he came. Let's be really clear about that. Now, here's the thing. He didn't come to establish the kind of kingdom that the world was used to, though, or they had ever seen. That's not the kind of kingdom he came to establish. Because here's the thing. All previous kingdoms, and by the way, every kingdom now and every kingdom in the future is all going to have something in common. They're all going to go away. Every last one of them. I don't care you name me the greatest You know, Alexander the Great, Nebuchadnezzar, some of the great words, Caesar, whatever, whatever great leader or kingdom in history you want to show me, I'm going to show you how it died. I'm going to show you how it went away, how it didn't last. But the beautiful thing that Isaiah is reminding us is we have a king who's coming to and has established a kingdom that ain't going anywhere. Ever. It says forever the kingdom that Jesus came to establish. You see, Jesus fought every important battle and he won them all. Come on. And with his death and his resurrection, he won the most important battle of all. Another word for triumphant is victorious, right? Another word for triumphant is victorious. Jesus came to give you and I a victorious life. Yes, a victorious. Jesus said in another part of his word, I've come to give you an abundant life. So not just are you going to win, but you're going to win abundantly. You're, 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 you know, with me, you, you stick with me, build my kingdom and you are going to win. You're going to win and you're going to be well cared for as you do it. Abundant life. He didn't say a getting by life. He didn't, Jesus didn't save us halfway. No, all the way, whole body, whole spirit, whole soul. That's how he saved us. That's the kind of life he died to give us. Xavier, if you want to come, Jesus, my friends is the savior of our souls. Jesus is the lifter of your head. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of your faith. He is Alpha, Omega, the beginning and the end and everything in between. Jesus is a warrior king. He is a warrior king who died on a cross in an ultimate battle for your soul. Jesus is a warrior king. He's not just a little baby in the manger. He's way more than that. Man. And you see his love, first of all, not only did he fight for you, but he never stops fighting for you. This, this is not preached very much. And it's something that always, 
I, I don't understand why it's not preached more, but do you realize, maybe, maybe some of you know this, some of, maybe you don't know this. Do you realize that the word says that Jesus right in this minute, this second, not, not something in the past, not, no, right this minute is sitting at the right hand of God. And you know what it said? The word says he's doing, he's advocating for you. He's saying, yes, yes, father. You see, you see what you see, you see what they're doing. You see how I'm, I'm standing. Jesus didn't, this is not just a one-time thing. Jesus is continually, does that give anybody here some hope that right now, no matter what you are going through, Jesus is advocating to the father for you, for your soul, for your spirit, for your success. Whoo, man, that gives me a lot of hope. Wow. You see his love also will never fail. And he'll never stop fighting for you. His love will never fail. And the kingdom that he's calling you and I to will never end. My prayer today, my friends, is that as you think about, as you sing the song, Oh, come all ye faithful, this Christmas season, I hope you have a a new or a renewed meaning for what those words mean. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Come to Bethlehem and come to see the king of angels. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Will you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, God, we love you so much. God, we thank you for your word. And today we thank you that the word came down and was made flesh. God, thank you so much for that. Now, Father, for everyone here today who isn't feeling very faithful right now, maybe they've gotten off track in some area of life. Lord, will you speak to them right now in this moment? Will you remind them that you love them and remind them that you are still faithful even when we are not. God, draw them close to you with bands and cords of love and grace and mercy. And God, for those of us that are weary and don't have much joy right now, maybe we're feeling a little overwhelmed or or just not enjoying the joy that Jesus came to give us, will you just reach out and touch our hearts right now? Help us to remember that You will always love us and never leave us. And that in Jesus, we can always find our joy. And Father, for anyone that is feeling a sense of loss this Christmas season and maybe not feeling so triumphant right now, will you send your Holy Spirit to remind us that you, God, still hold the keys to victory in your hands. God, raise up a standard of victory over every person here and bring to our hearts and our minds the reality that Jesus is undefeated. And because of that, we have the ultimate victory in him and through him. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. now.